days on a well-deserved vacation over in uh, Scotland right now with family, Louise's family, and I can just picture them riding on the wrong side of the road with this big camper they're in. If you've ever been over to Scotland, the roads are not the widest, you know, and they don't have a lot of places to turn around, but I'm sure he's, uh, they're enjoying their time over. But they will be back uh, next uh, Saturday. So I keep them in prayer and that the Lord would refresh them while they are over there and bring them back safely. So if you've been here the last few weeks, uh, Joe has been uh, preaching on the kingdom of God, kind of was an outflow of the uh, Lord's prayer of thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And, and I'm going to stay within that lane a little bit today talking about kingdoms, but I'm going to look at it uh, from a little different vantage point. I'm going to talk about competing kingdoms. Because even though we are part of the kingdom of God expanding over the earth through God's church and God's work, there is a competing kingdom that's been there really since the beginning in the garden. And we're going to look back a little bit later in that to the uh, place of Babel where we can see some of these ideas of the kingdom of man. Some of you may have read, well, it's a very large book, but uh, St. Augustine's City of God. And he talks about when the Roman Empire was falling and he tried to show compare the city of God with the city of man. It really is the kingdom of God. Today, the kingdom of God will be consummated when the return of Jesus Christ. So in today's passage, we're going to be reading from the book of Genesis. So Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, and then I'm going to look at uh, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, and then finally uh, Genesis 12, verses uh, 1 through 4. Hear God's word. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now jumping over chapter Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with them. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and your truth that you have given us. 
And Lord, I am just a vessel, a conduit to speak your truth. I pray you would use me by your Holy Spirit this morning to speak your truth and your words. Open up our hearts to hear what you would have us hear this morning. Illuminate our minds and our thinking, Lord, and our understanding that we might see you and see you more greatly. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So since the Garden of Eden and early in Genesis until the end of time, there is going to be this competition between kingdoms, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of man. And if you look throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will see this city called Babylon quite mentioned quite frequently. And when we see the word Babylon, the city, it normally means opposition to God. And we even know, if you read Isaiah uh, chapter 14, it talks about Satan. And Satan is talked about in the confines of Babylon. In Hebrew, the word for Babylon is Babel. When Jesus was tested in the wilderness, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. And he said to them, to Jesus, all of these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. So I think it's clear throughout scripture. You can see even though the kingdom of God is moving and expanding, there's a kingdom of this world run by the God of this world. It said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, who has blinded the minds and the eyes of those who cannot see. Paul challenges us in Romans 12 to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the Apostle John says we are not to love this world and all that it represents. Today my intent is for the Holy Spirit to transform our minds and our thinking, to help us to distinguish between these two kingdoms and their two different operating systems, their two different competing values that hopefully you will see in this morning's uh, text. little background from the scripture. So we saw in the first verse, right, God blessed Noah and his sons right after the great flood. He blesses them. And what's he tell them? Be fruitful and multiply and what? Fill the earth. By the way, he is just reiterating the same command that he had given Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 1. 28. But one thing I want you to notice, both in, in, in the Adam and Eve account as well as here, God blesses them first before he says for them to go out. And if you read your Bible in chapter 10 of Genesis, it highlights the genealogy of Noah and his sons and where they all dispersed throughout the land. And then chapter 11, which we're going to get into today, shows how that happened. So even though chronologically, you know, 11 happens before 10. 10 is kind of highlighting all the changes that are going to happen, where everybody's going to go. And chapter 11 is going to talk about how that happened. In chapter 10 and, and 9, uh, we're going to learn of a man named Nimrod. Nimrod is the founder of Babel. Nimrod is also, it says in chapter 10, verse 8, was the, on the, first on the earth to be a mighty man. It also says he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And at the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. By the way, it's interesting, Nimrod was the, great, was the grandson, or great-grandson of Noah, and came through the line of Ham. And if you think of Ham, Ham was the individual that, as soon as they get off, you know, after the, 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 the flood happened and God blessed them, we already see sin immediately. 
Ham found his dad, Noah, was drunk, right? He had drinking from the wine too much. And instead of covering his dad, if you recall the story, he ended up, went out and grabbed his brothers and brought him in to, to make mockery and laughed at him. And he was cursed because of that. But his great-grandson, Nimrod, who ends up being a pivotal and key player in the building of the city of Babel. So when we look at the passage this morning, uh, we see from the passage that they had one language, and, and some translators say one vocabulary. You know, one language, and they use the same words. Some of you, I know we have some that grew up in Great Britain. You know, the English language is spread out, what, Australia, Canada, New Zealand. But the English words don't always mean the same in every different country. But there, there was one language, one vocabulary. And it says they migrated east from Mount Ararat, most likely. You know, most scholars believe that the, the, the ark landed somewhere in Mount Ararat area near Turkey. And most likely, they, they migrated from there into the Mesopotamia area, which would be today modern Iraq. Shinar, which is mentioned there, is the land where the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers meet. And there's a good indication it might have been near where the Garden of Eden was before the flood destroyed everything. Well, let's look at it. I'm going to look at man's actions, then I'm going to look at God's actions, and then we're going to try to draw some application of some things we can learn. First, let's look at man's actions. Number one, it says they build a city. They build a city for ourselves. Now, you would say there's nothing wrong with building cities, Right? Nothing wrong with building towers. Well, what's wrong? Well, the writer is trying to show what. What did he tell Noah? What did he tell his sons? He told them to go out, spread out. And immediately we see rebellion against God. It should be noted God never commanded them to build a great city that would house all of humanity. They were told to fill the earth. And then they built a high tower. Now, this tower... You've done any studying over there? They would call them ziggurats, okay? And it was not uncommon in the big cities in the in the Mesopotamia area where they would build these towers, okay? It was sort of like they wanted to build their uh, Empire State Building there, right? Or their Space Needle, or the, the Eiffel Tower. It was going to be, you know, this is going to be Babel, and this is going to be our particular tower. And I'm sure if our current president was living back there, he would have put his name across that tower. (laughs) And I'm sure Nimrod's name was on that particular tower. So they built a city, they built a tower. And oh, by the way, that tower kind of signifies, and we know this if you study the history of Babylon and all that, many, many of the various religions and gods came out of that particular area. So we see an essence of them trying to worship, and it's not God. Because the Bible's making it clear it's not God. And then notice what I want you to see. They said they wanted to make a name for themselves. That's a very telling point, which we will come back to later. And then the fourth thing, it's not what they did. It's what they didn't do, right? They did not spread out as God had commanded them. They were staying together in close proximity. For you that's been in my uh, Sunday school classes before, you know I always say when we're interpreting Scripture, we should always look at it to say, what do we learn about God and what do we learn about man? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about man? What do we learn about man in this passage? Well, 
When I look at it, and it's very, I think it's, a, a young child can understand this passage. The people of Babel were all about themselves, right? They were disobedient to God's command. They should have known better. And in all likelihood, they were probably beginning to worship other gods, hence the tower that they built to the sky. So early on, you see this picture of sin and rebellion in the heart of man. Started in the garden, the flood came, man continued to grow, and again, we see sin and rebellion. And it goes on until this day, and that is what we see in the city of man. But what else do we learn? Well, why did they want to build this city? What was the reason? Well, it gives the answer. So they would not be dispersed or scattered across the earth, which speaks to their fear and insecurity. They were probably fearful of losing what they had, their property, their family, their community, their culture, their businesses, whatever was established at that time. And we don't know exactly how many people there were. I've seen accounts where it said probably in the low thousands to the upper hundreds of thousands. We don't know for sure. But whatever it was, they did not want to spread out because of fear and insecurity. And I think we're going to see that that comes because of sin, right? Sin breeds fear and insecurity. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Well, what do we learn about God? Well, it says God comes down to see the city. Come on, we know God's what? Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. So what's the writer saying? Well, this writer is using human terminology to try to explain God. We call that in theology anthropomorphic language. So he's talking about God came down. If you think about it, it's actually, I think Moses, when he's writing, it's making it quite comical. Well, if this tower was so huge, reaching up in the heavens, right, why would God even have to come down? It'd be like popping up. I remember when I was a kid watching Jack and the Beanstalk. Remember that? When the, the beanstalk gets up there in the heavens, they're up to the giant. Well, you would think this tower would reach up into the heavens, but God comes down. What else does he do? He confuses their language. By implication, he gives them all different languages, and we don't know how the breakup is, but you can look in the table of nations, and it talks about the different people groups, and that's probably how they got their languages. So he confuses them, and then what else? does he do? He disperses them over the whole earth. So this begs the question to me, why did he want them to fill the earth? Well, I think there are numerous answers, but I'm just going to give two. Number one, because God is a good God and wants to bless us. The scriptures are full of verses highlighting God's marvelous works in creation. For example, in Psalms, it says, For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he has made it, and his hands formed the dry land. His handiwork across the earth declares his power and glory. How would you like it if you have never seen, for some of you may have not seen, but that you have, if you have never seen the Grand Canyon, Yosemite, Niagara Falls. Some of you have been overseas. Some of the beauties and wonders that this world has. Why would you want to stay in this plain of Shinar? God had a rich world for the people to go out and to expand into. God is a good God. Second point, which I think is implied in today's passage, why God wanted to fill the earth, is because 
he understood the heart of man. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. You only have to go back a couple chapters in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, where God says, every intention of the thoughts of his heart, talking about man, was evil continually. The flood did not change the people's hearts. God just preserved families to continue the human race because he had a bigger and greater plan down the road. God knows that if you concentrate people under one group or leader other than Christ, there's going to be problems, trouble. Starts with Nimrod, and it goes down through other leaders throughout human history. Can you imagine if Nebuchadnezzar or Caesar or Hitler or Stalin ruled the whole earth? Would not be good. Power cannot be concentrated in one person or one group of people because of man's sinfulness. That is precisely why the framers of our government and constitution distributed powers. Right? They understood that. You know, some of them were deists, some of them were Christians, but they understood man. They had a healthy respect for man. As Lord Acton so famously said, power tends to corrupt And absolute power corrupts absolutely. So God knew this. He knew that if they were all together and they were continued in one one heart and mind and evil would not be a good thing. Concentrating a lot of things in one spot is not always good. I told my son I was going to embarrass him, you know, in a story. He says, Jackson had his friend uh, Jude visit him. So you remember the Hesses and... And so Jude's spending the night, and he invites a couple other friends, you know. And so we have four boys in one small room. Now, you mothers that have boys know, you're putting four boys in a small room, what do you have? You have guy smells, and you have, uh, you know, wrappers of chips and everything on the floor. And, you know, I don't even go in there. I don't want to look. Because of the concentration of that in a small area. God knows that we need to be spread out. So what do we learn about God? What do we learn about God in this one? Well, number one, we learn he is the sovereign king of the universe and his plans will not be thwarted despite all the intentions of man. I love Psalms 2 verses 1 through 6. Listen to this. It sounds just like Babel. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. He laughs. He laughs. God is sovereign, powerful. You could take comfort in that. Learn that about God. No matter what the circumstances, no matter how chaotic the world looks, you look at the world around you and you think everything's falling apart. Well, God is still on the throne. He is sovereign. His plans will not be thwarted. Problem is sometimes his plans are not our plans, right? My ways are not your ways, God says. So why did I show the verses on Abraham? Because I want you to see a difference. I think Moses, when he wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wanted us to see the difference 
because Moses is wanting us to know how the eventual Messiah will come through Abraham. So what is the same and what is the difference when we look at those passages? Well, God blesses them both. God tells them to pick up and move. Told the people of Babel, I mean, it was inherent from the beginning through Noah and the sons. You need to spread out. God tells Abram to move, pick up. What is different? It's obvious. Abram moves, right? He listens. He obeys God. Here's what else is different. God says to Abram, I will make your name great. What did the people of Babel said? Let us make a name for ourselves. Notice the difference? It's God's work versus man's work. God's building versus man's building. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. All right, let's do a, a quick comparison. I want to, these are my points of application today, okay? If you're looking for three points, we're finally there. I've got lots of points of all over the place, I know. Let's compare the two, the, the two kingdoms. When it comes to their operating system, how they think, their value system. First off, I want you to keep these three questions in mind, all right? And I want you to think about them personally. Number one, where do you find your sense of purpose and meaning? These are deep philosophical questions, all right? Where do you find your sense of purpose and meaning? Number two, where do you find your sense of value and significance? And then finally, number three, where do you find your sense of security? Look at the first one, meaning and purpose. The kingdom of man is about the glory of man. The kingdom of God is about what? The glory of God. In Babel, it is all about their pride, their efforts, their achievement. Look what I have done. Look at this great city we have built. A crowning achievement of our expertise our intellect, our ingenuity. Man can create and invent and achieve great things through ingenuity and hard work. Why? Because they bear the image of God. All of mankind has the image of God. God has gifted men and women, believers, unbelievers, with intellects, with abilities and skills. But if they're not used properly in the right direction, as God said, God knows what they, what they propose to do would not be impossible for them. He knows the capability that's within man. The kingdom of man says, well, why do we need a God when we can solve our problems ourselves? Right? I don't need a God. I can solve my problems through science and technology. We hear that today a lot, don't we? The earth and the world is going to get better and better because of our advances in science and technology. Interestingly, about 1,500 years, give me a plus or minus 100 in either way to get the exact date. After Babel, there's a king called Nebuchadnezzar in the city of what? Babylon. And the prophet Daniel records it. And one day he goes out on his... Uh, opening of his big porch and he looks out and he says these words is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty do you remember that he looked out and he saw and he said look what I built kind of puffing his chest out well you know the rest of the story 
he was, ended up becoming crazy and living out in a field for about seven years where his hair grew and his claws grew. And then it said his reason returned to him until he finally re- recognized, and he said this, God's dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will amongst the host of heaven. That is the spirit of Babel, or kingdom of this world, finding meaning only in our accomplishments. Now, don't get me wrong. Accomplishments are not bad things. Trying to achieve something is not a bad thing. It's to what end are you trying to achieve it? How many of you have had an MRI before? Or have a family member have an MRI? Probably everybody. There was a man by the name of Raymond Damadian who invented the MRI machine. And his wife was uh, being interviewed in a magazine, wrote that Raymond had a great faith in the Lord and that with God's help, he would be able to achieve this goal of developing MRI technology to help diagnose disease. In his struggle to develop the MRI, she said that the Lord always seemed to look after him. And after much work, he achieved his goal of developing a functional MRI machine. And soon after, they began manufacturing these. There's nothing wrong with doing great things. But who are we doing these great things for? Is it for us? Look at my city? Or is that look to the Lord? What is the chief aim of man? Westminster Confession. Glorify God. Enjoy him forever. So we should live for God's glory. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give your glory to your Father in heaven. We need to be about the glory of God in heaven. All right, second point, sense of value. Where do you get your value from? The kingdom of man is about making a name for ourselves. The kingdom of God is about lifting up the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Really, this, them wanting to uh, make a name for themselves is tied with their pride of their building and their achievement. They were in outright disobedience to God, but they wanted to make a name for themselves. Really, when we think about it, say, when we're wanting to make a name for ourselves, what are we doing? We're wanting to brand ourselves, right? We, we want people to like us. We want praise. We want these kind of things. And it's very difficult today in our culture, right? Get a smartphone with an appropriate app, and you can brand yourself for the world to see. And we love doing that today, don't we? I am sure if the people in Babel were there and had their smartphones, they would have been taking pictures, selfies with them in front of the tower. Look at our great tower. They wanted to build a name, make a name for themselves. I often wonder, though, who were they making the name for? I mean, it was just them, right? They wanted to brand themselves. They wanted to magnify themselves, magnify their achievements, and we got to be careful because many times we are more concerned. We, we think our value is in how many likes I get on Facebook and Instagram. Does your uh, sense of emotional well-being plummet when you put something out there and every, you're expecting a many likes and you only get a couple? What are we trying to brand? The kingdom of God is about branding Jesus Christ. 
The kingdom of man is about branding ourselves, making a name for ourselves. Young person going off to college, those are in high school, and you choose your careers. Why, why are you choosing your career? Are you wanting to brand yourself because I want to make this great achievement? I want to go to school, particular school. Or is it because I want to honor and glorify God and the gifts that he has given me? These are the questions we must ask. This leads to my third point, final point. Where do you look for security? Because they're related. The people had insecurity and fear because of their sin. And that's just what sin does. Because there's this gaping hole in the heart of a sinner looking for it to be filled. And they can't fill it with God. They fill it with other things. But they recognize that there is, it's not enough. It's not enough. The kingdom of man is about fear and insecurity. The kingdom of God is about the security of our rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Love Psalm 27. One, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? After they sinned, what did they do? They hid. Why? What did they say? We were afraid. The people of Babel were afraid. They were insecure. Because sin breeds insecurity. They thought they could self-protect themselves by building this city with walls to protect them. And again, I ask, what were they fearing? What were they fearing? Well, friends, you and I can look to God for meaning and purpose. We can look to God for a sense of value and significance. We can look to God for security. Jesus said the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I came, what? That you might have life and have it more abundantly. What's that abundant life entail? Meaning, purpose, why you're here. Abundant life is what Christ came for. How about value? Well, we're valued not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us. We've been, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God before the foundations of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, 6 says, In love, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory. There's that word glory again. You can feel value and significant not because how many likes you get on your smartphone app or what people think about you. Because, you know, they might like you one moment, the next moment they're not. People are fickle. But God has put his adoption on you. Not only that, read Revelation, the end of the book. I love Revelation 22, verse 4. Because he says in Revelation that we will see his face and his name will be what? On our foreheads. You are special and I am special because he puts his name on you and on me. 
And finally, Jesus gives us security. He says he will never leave us nor forsake us. And Paul said it so beautifully in Romans chapter 8. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's his love that gives us security. The people of Babel, because they were disobedient to God, were trying to build a world of fulfillment, but they were living in fear and anxiety. And there's a correlation between many times between pride and anxiety and fear. You know it. Some of the most arrogant people you meet are the most insecure. Isn't that usually the case? Why? Well, to overcome their insecurity, what do they have to do? Or what do we have to do? We do it. We try to project an image other than ourselves and try to look like we are more than ourselves. We're doing what the people of Babel. We're trying to make a name for ourselves. That is what the kingdom of man is built on. But the kingdom of God is built on Jesus Christ. And his name, the name above all names, that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What happens to the city of Babylon? Read Revelation 18. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. How about the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem? And I saw the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem coming down. God doesn't have a problem with cities. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. Amen. I asked the question, which kingdom... Are you building? Are you and I seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? That is a challenge for us today. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your truth, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can find our meaning and purpose, our value, our security in Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that are struggling with this, I pray that you would illumine their hearts, that they might see you in all your glory and give them that hope and that security that only comes from you. Father, help all of us to not be about building cities for ourselves or making a name for ourselves, but let us be about your kingdom. And we know, Lord, we need your grace and strength to do it. We thank you again for your spirit that lives within us. Grow us more in the grace of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen.